Hey everyone, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 43. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today, I'm happy to welcome my friend and fellow podcaster, Sarah Stewart Holland, to the show. She podcasts at Pantsuit Politics, the only political podcast I subscribe to, and I'll be on her show in the coming weeks to talk about my favorite political books. Sarah is drawn to nonfiction, but gets FOMO with fiction instead of being purposeful with the fiction she reads. She loves learning about everything. She describes herself like a very thirsty, computer-like sponge. She's also obsessed with Hamilton, and of course, that comes up in our conversation. Let's get to it. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, it is my pleasure. I think of you as just my friend that I met on the internet, although it's really great that we got to meet in person this summer. But I know a lot of people think of you as their political friend. So Ooh. can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, my name is Sarah Stewart Holland, and I've, I've been, you know, in real life and on the internet for about 35 years now. I started blogging back in 2003. How about that? Wow. Yeah, I didn't personal realize it was blog. that far back. Yeah, personal blog for a long time, then uh, took it professional with a blog I had with my friend in California called Salt and Nectar. Now I blog at bluegrassredhead.com. And entered the, I've always been a political blogger. I've always not shied away from political topics. I was a political science major. I went to law school um, in Washington, D.C. And then after I graduated from law school, I worked in politics. I worked for Hillary Clinton's 2007 presidential campaign. And then I worked for Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey. So politics has always been a passion of mine. I don't shy away from it. Um, so I've always blogged about it. And then Last year, my friend Beth and I started a podcast called Pantsuit Politics, in which we, um, Beth is from the right, I am from the left, and we're very transparent about that. And the, we start each show with Sarah from the left and Beth from the right, and we talk about the news and we talk about sort of bigger political issues sometimes. And it's been such a crazy positive experience. We have a really amazing community of listeners, people who want to have respectful bipartisan debates about politics. I know it's a novel concept not to yell and scream at each other, but that's what we try to do. And we've <laughs> you had, make it sound um, like you yell and scream at each other occasionally. No, we really don't. The case. We really don't. Um, no shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. That's our tagline. So we really want to stop pretending like, you know, there are two teams and there's no reality in the middle in which some people are right and some people are wrong. Every person is right and every person is wrong some of the time. So um, that's, that's what I do on the internet in real life. Um, I have three little boys, seven, five and 19 months. Um, I'm married to a wonderful man and I live in my hometown of Paducah, Kentucky, which I'm very passionate about. Everyone should come to Paducah. If you would like to live in Paducah, hit me up. It's a great place to live, standard of living. And I'm also running for Paducah city commission. You know, I am a Kentucky girl as well, and I have never been maybe close to the city of Paducah. You can yell at me That's now. Hard. It's far. Look, it's far. It's all the way to the western side of the state. We're about five minutes from Illinois. Um, 
But I argue, you know, because of our, particularly our location, is what makes Paducah so fabulous. First of all, we're on the confluence of the Ohio and the Tennessee rivers, which is really nice for industry and just boating. We have a Kentucky Lake and Barkley Lake nearby, which is really nice, and just sort of enjoying the waterways. But Paducah is a really nice mix of southern and um, sort of Midwest. Mm-hmm. It's like it's got like the best parts of both regions in this really nice, delightful mix. So you should come and see us. Well, that's a good sales pitch, actually. Thank you. Well done. It's well rehearsed. It's well rehearsed. <laughs> you got to have your spiel ready. That's okay. Right. I got an elevator pitch for Paducah on the ready. Very nice. Okay. Now tell me where books and reading fits into all that in your life. Cause I know you're a reader. Oh, I'm a big reader. And well, I think that where books I'm reading fits in is because I'm a huge fan of yours, obviously. And I, you've helped me really think about the strategy of reading. Do tell. Yeah. Well, you know, I've talked, I've, I've guest blogged before about my little, um, I forgot what I called them on your blog when I, we'll find it. We'll put it in show notes. We'll put it in the show notes, but where I, I realized like I love book clubs and I love connecting with my friends and like sort of the importance of that and happiness and being the modern woman. And so I kind of combined the two. So I picked a cup, particularly I have two guy friends from college who I just adore, but we're kind of terrible at keeping in touch with each other. So I forced them to be in a, in a long distance book club with me. <laughs> well, that sounds and like you're great. covering multiple bases at once or whatever yeah, the appropriate metaphor is. That's exactly right. It just like, it gets, it gets all the things all at once, sort of the strategy of reading friends and family. Um, and also, you know, teaming up with people is a great way to find what book you want to read next to. You know what I mean? So, cause sometimes you're just like, Oh, I don't know. But then you, we kind of take turns and it's also really interesting, particularly with like what I'm reading next, because my guy friends, you know, these are two, one has a little girl, one's, um, about to be married, but no kids, you know, they live in Cleveland and Philly. Like we have very different lives. And so we pick very different books to read as we take turns. Like I read a book about physics. I would have never in a million years read, um, and so that's like a really, it's a fun con- component of that too. What's the last book you all read together? The last book we read together, well, we were supposed to read All the King's <laughs> Men. Yeah. But I was the only one that read it and the other, they both sort of crapped out on me. But we've just decided to read, I don't know if they're finished yet, but we're currently reading, um, is it The Underground Railroad or just Underground Railroad? You said You've just finished I this book. The Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad. the by, cover in my head. By Colson Whitehead. Is that, mm-hmm. That's the right name. Mm-hmm. Um, which was fantastic. <gasps> you read ahead for your book club? Yeah, I, I don't like, yeah, we, we, this is a book we're reading now. So I think okay. I just finished it first. I read it really fast. I did not expect to read it that fast. Excellent. Yeah, I just finished that too. And the author's coming to, well, I was debating whether or not to read it because there's always so much to read, mm-hmm. but the author's coming to town and we bought tickets. So that made well, the decision Well, my trifecta... Before, so here's sort of don't, I hope my uh, book club buddies don't listen to this because <laughs> I usually just like, I kind of uh, conveniently suggest books that were like really high on my list or I've already, sometimes I, I've been known to suggest book club books I've already finished. Is that, is that breaking some kind of major book club role? Cause I definitely do that. I don't know. We'll ask the listeners. Oh, well, it was an Oprah book club book, which I'm a massive Oprah fan. Then Obama put it on his summer list. And then um, a woman I love on the internet named Anne Helen Peterson from Celebrity Gossip Academic Style suggested. And that was like my trifecta. I'm like, okay, I have to stop everything I'm doing and read this book now. Awesome. That sounds persuasive. It's good to know who your book people are. Definitely. Okay. Well, see, now I want to ask what you're reading now, but that's not fair because you know how this works. 
You tell me <laughs> three books you love, one book you hate, and then what you've been reading lately. And we cannot do it backwards. My brain cannot okay. handle it. Okay. So, okay. and then we talk about what you should read next. So All right. Let's start with your favorites instead. Tell me three books you love. Um, this is so hard. It's like picking children. Does everybody go through this when it's, you, you know, it's so hard. If it's not hard, you're not taking it seriously. Well, and we take our books seriously. Asking, I think you're very smart to ask people on this show, like books you love and not your favorite books. Cause favorite books becomes a personality test. And there's way too much prep, you know, too much pressure, but books you love is a little bit different question, right? Yeah, you could have like 300 books you love. Right. Exactly. Right. We just need, you know, the little lotto pop-up ball machine. We just need to send three up to the top. Right. Today. They could be different after lunch. So the first book I thought about was All Joy, No Fun, um, The Paradox. I think it's The Paradox, A Modern Parenting by Jennifer Senior. Have you read this book? I've read about half of it. I thought it was such a smart examination of, and it's a parenting blogger. It's not like this is not something I haven't thought a ton about. Mm-hmm. And um, as just someone who takes parenting sort of probably maybe too seriously. <laughs> um, Explain the I, title too, because it's so smart. Yeah, all joy, no fun, which is, you know, her her sort of one of her main theses is, is that children used to be, you know, sort of economically useful, that they helped you run your businesses or they helped you run your farm. And then we have trained and then they were sort of I mean, you wouldn't argue they were emotionally expendable, but we did not put them up historically on sort of the pedestal we do now and that now they are economically useless, but emotionally invaluable and that this has pushed this 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 place of modern parenthood in which, you know, it can be very fulfilling, but it's exhausting because you're just in, you're in service to this supposedly emotionally <laughs> uh, valuable pursuit of modern parenting. But she does a really good job, I think, of examining sort of gender roles inside parenting, um, societal attitudes about children and um, the roles of parents in their lives um, I've also just sort of gotten to know her on the internet and she's super, super smart and, um, a great writer. And I, I just love the book. I love it so much. Awesome. My second one along the main vein is, um, being mortal by Atul Gawande, mm-hmm. who is also somebody, I mean, if he was like, I am going to copy the phone book, I'd be like, well, I'll read it. Cause you wrote it. So I'll read it. I love Atul Gawande. I hear you. He is a writer for the New Yorker. He writes about healthcare. Primarily he's a vast, I think he's a vascular surgeon. Um, and he wrote this book about sort of about his own personal journey with his father passing away and used it as an examination of how we treat death and dying in America and within our healthcare system. Um, which doesn't sound like a book I should describe as, you know, unpicked down. <laughs> but actually, you don't know this because the episode hasn't aired yet, but I'm recommending this on a future episode of What Should I Read Next? It will have aired by the time everybody's listening to this today. And I say about the same thing. Like, this sounds so yeah. dark, depressing, and heavy. And it's really, it's so readable. It's really not. And I, and I think, you know, my book choices too speak to political things that I think are political that we don't think of as political. And that I think are very important, particularly I've come to this aha moment that I think caregiving is sort of this bubbling undercurrent in our society that we don't pay attention to and that we don't talk to talk about enough. And so books that help us reexamine how important that is. And the fact that I know we're, you know, this 
nation of independent bootstrappers, but we need to talk more about like in your life, you will care for somebody. And let's talk about how valuable that is and what, how we can support people caregiving. And so, you know, either on the parenting side, Jennifer Senior's discussion or Atul Gawande's discussion of the end of life care, I just think it's so valuable. And, you know, they both do it in such a beautiful, brilliant, emotional, but really smart way. I love both of those books so much and I recommend them constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see why. So then I felt pressure to pick a, a fiction book. I really do love fiction, but I, the fiction I read tends to be, I mean, I do read a lot of uh, literary fiction um, because um, my co-podcaster and I talk and laugh about this a lot, but like in what we read and in what we watch, I we couldn't be more different. Like she really likes light, fluffy. She watches a lot of like reality TV, whereas I'm like, I need to learn something from everything I take in. <laughs> that is really good to know about yourself. Yeah, I really, I'm an input strength finders assessment. I'm an input mm-hmm. person and it's really helped me understand myself a lot that mm-hmm. I just, and also to understand that other people are not like that. Like other people get overwhelmed, whereas I'm like, Bury me in information at all times, please. Because <laughs> that is your happy place. That is my happy place. So so with fiction, it's really interesting. Like I'll read, I like literary fiction, but I have to, it has to be a plot in which I'm sort of interested. I want to know what's going to happen. And I have to like at least one of the characters. I do read, I find myself reading not a lot of mysteries, but mystery, I will say mystery literary fiction. It seems to be something I'm drawn to pretty often. So I really liked The Lovely Bones. Um mm-hmm. Loved that book. And I thought when I read it, now I'm so, so glad I read it before I was a mother myself. But oh gosh, are you saying because you wouldn't want to like pick it up right now when you have. No, I think it would children? be. I can. I'm yeah. not a person that avoids difficult things uh, like thing, bad things happening to children. I mean, heck, I just read the girls. Um, yeah. But I do, you know, that one is pretty intense. And I just when I read that book, the reason I kind of put it in the the books I love that helped me rethink things. And I just really never thought, you know, even as a person who thought, you know, who studies media and thinks about these things a lot. I really had just never put myself in the shoes of a child victim of violence. Like you just, as in you, every media account, I think is just so focused on the perpetrator or the families. And you just never stop to think like, Oh, they must be so scared. Oh, that must be so hard. Or at least I hadn't. And the way she wrote so brilliantly from the girl's perspective was really touching. And it's something, even though I read the book, probably 10 years ago. I still mm-hmm. think about it pretty regularly. Okay, Sarah, what is one book that I hate to use the word hate, even if it's my word Ugh, here, you talk, you talk politics every day. So Sarah, what do you hate? Oh my God. I hate anything by Anne Ryan. Is that <laughs> how you say her name? I thought it was Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. That's the story I heard a long time ago. Yes, you're right. You're right. Ayn Rand. I always say it wrong. Um, I hate the fa- I read the fountainhead. I want every minute of my life. I spent reading that book back, which would have been a lot of minutes. Cause it is. Yes. Big I don't fat. know why I finished it. Oh, I hate it. Except for, I'm glad I finished it only in that I can speak like from a place of experience when people start mouthing off about the book and just be like, no, I read the whole thing and I hated every single page. I didn't care what happened. I didn't like a single person in that book. I do not subscribe. Hold on, to her. hold on. Back up. You have to tell us more because she is a. What's the name of her uh, political philosophy? I mean, she's it's pretty like, libertarian. Is she libertarian? E- no, no. It has a name. It's like all I can think is egotism, and I don't. Yeah, think yeah, yeah, yeah. It. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But she's trying to embody in her protagonist Howard Rourke. Is that his name? 
That's I don't name. know. I blocked I it off. That's, that's it. I'm sorry. Okay. So this is old. <laughs> it came out in 43. Objectivism. Objectivism. Good job. That's our philosophy. You win. This novel is carrying the burden of this whole political philosophy that she developed over the course of her mm-hmm. life and work. Mm-hmm. And um, that's its point. And yeah. it was also a big Hollywood film in um, 49, 50. I and mean, she, but I guess she wrote the screenplay. Who, you know, moved to my hometown, who feels like, you know, becoming a mother really like made my personality and my life real in a way I hadn't been before. And a part like a person who values community. I mean, I could not on every level be more at the opposite end of the spectrum of her sort of individualism, you know, quote, I'm going to use reason. You can't say me, but I'm making the little quotation marks because I think that is, there's no, <laughs> I think that's a stretch to be objective. My re, my objective way is reasonable. Um, but you know, it's just so diametrically opposed to my entire worldview. Like I could not even, like, I mean, I get it. I just think it's wrong. Okay, so it sounds like you weren't thinking, oh, her grammar was so bad, or the plot moves oh. slowly. It sounds like you just hated the message. Yes, and okay. I just, yeah. And, the, and truthfully, I can look past a lot. Well, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a person that's like, you know, I can, well, that's not true, because I think I've read a couple books, like The Nest, everybody loved The Nest, and I kept thinking, like, this is clunky. I can see the gears. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't really like that. Mm-hmm. As a person, um, as a writer, and I, when I can see, especially in fiction, like I said, like I can see your gears moving. I can see where you're moving things around, especially because as somebody who's like, I was going to joke and ask you, like, how much are we allowed to talk about Harry Potter every episode? Is that is there like a limit? Do we get a bell, like get played off with music after a certain it's, amount? But it's got to be good if you're going to bring yeah. up Harry. Yeah. I mean, I just think like Harry, if you love as you know, I started, but I don't Harry understand Potter. why you're talking about Harry here. So now you because have to explain I, I think because I started reading Harry Potter in college. And so it's when I really started thinking about writing. And so if you cut your teeth as a reader and a writer on those books that are so skillfully crafted, then it is hard for anything else to live up to them. And you start to see people's mechanisms a little more clearly. If you've, especially if you've read them a couple of times, like I have, like, she's just really good at that part of writing. And so it makes when other people do it badly so much more obvious. So you have high standards. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. We were talking about Harry Potter in the hate section, and I was wondering oh, where you no. were going. But okay. No, I would, whole, I would wholeheartedly, if you wanted to be, if I brought up Harry Potter as a book I hate, I mean, you could just be like, okay, well, the show's over now. Goodbye, everybody. It's <laughs> <laughs> a deal breaker the for hook, me. Like the vaudeville hook and like I'll yank you back, off the I'll page. I'll just pass people like who, who are like, oh, I just never checked it out. But I don't know if I I don't know if I even have anybody in my life who like read them and hated them. Like I don't know if I could be friends with that person. You can hate whatever you want on this show as long okay. as you have a good reason. Okay, I feel okay. that. All right, tell me what you're reading now. Since we've been waiting so long, thank you. <laughs> I am currently reading Chernoff's um, Alexander Hamilton biography that the musical is based on because I am obsessed with the musical, and to you the point where like, chorus? what's your favorite I- song? Um, wait for it right now. I'm really in a heavy wait for it. I'm so obsessed with the musical. I've never had this experience before, but as I'm reading this biography, you know, I was, every time I read the name Hercules Mulligan, my mind goes, Hercules Mulligan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. For those listening, for the four people listening who don't know what you're talking about, tell us what this book is. So, um, Hamilton is a, the the musical is the juggernaut of cultural right now. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Tony award winning 
Cabillion Dollar musical about the life of Alexander Hamilton. It's a hip hop musical. And this is the biography that he read by uh, Ron Chernoff that inspired him to write the musical. It is very, very interesting. You know, Alexander Hamilton, the idea is basically that he sort of, he died young in the duel with Aaron Burr, which is what we all know about him, but he was a really interesting and instrumental founding father whose history and life story has largely been forgotten or misrepresented. And this biography seeks to um, so pull a curtain back on him and... It's just incredibly fascinating. Such a fact. I'm a big history person too. I really like history, and um, so I'm loving it right now. See, look, and I want to guess what my mind just said, and I'm loving it just from the musical. I'm telling you, it's out of control. This book is like 800 pages, so you could be reading it forever. How far into it are you right now? I'm about. I'm only. I'm about 10% in, but I, okay. I was kind of shocked because I knew it was really long. That mm-hmm. I'm already to the revolution. Like I, we got. I don't think there's a lot of historical record about his early life, so we got through that pretty part pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But I, I read multiple books at once, so I'm also reading. Um, the... Wait, 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 wait! Don't go further. Okay, sorry. Okay, so the thing that is most fascinating to me about the whole, I'm reading it too, and it sounds like we're at about the same place I, i'd say i'm okay, about percent through i haven't picked it up in a few weeks because it was too big to take on vacation in my suitcase so it stayed under my bed i just can't get over the fact that lynn manuel miranda picked this book up in an airport i think is a story and started reading and that the thought he had was this would make a great musical like that just I, blows my mind well i think after i read the opening part it doesn't blow my mind as much i totally no, you get... can see it in reverse but imagining yeah. anybody picking up a big fat history book thinking oh obviously this is the thing to do with it. Like, well, I, I, think, really I admire think she that. read the, this opening. I mean, I don't even think it's in reverse. I think if you're a person who loves hip hop as much as he does, and if you like, I don't listen to rap music all the time, but I do really enjoy sort of the history and cultural analysis of rap music. And his opening, the story of his life in the Caribbean, it's so, it drips with it. Just the proving myself, no one believes in me. I have no resources. I have to hustle. Like, I don't, I think it's, I, I see it. I definitely see it. I think you see it because Lin-Manuel saw it first. <laughs> I totally think you do. I think, I think if anybody, I mean, you know, the book has been out a long time when he picked it up. It's at least 10 years old. Oh, let's yeah. not underscore Lin-Manuel Miranda is a genius. <laughs> oh, no, no. He's literally, he has, he got the MacArthur genius. I mean, he's definitely a genius, but I think that, I think it's that beginning story that, got him and hooked him and was like, Hmm. And I can see, it. I really can. I think the inspiration is everywhere. Idea is really cool. And it applies mm-hmm. to places I just wouldn't have expected. Okay. So tell me now about how you read multiple books at once. So, um, I am also reading and I can't, I never, I always want to call it the battle hymn of the Republic, but it's a civil war history. Um, battle please. cry of freedom, battle cry of freedom. Thank you. I'm reading the battle cry of freedom with my husband um, but it is also crazy long, and I have a tendency to pick it up at night when, I mean, dry Civil War histories isn't, <laughs> I'm asleep after two pages. But it is really interesting, and it also takes, I think it's taken a long time to read it because there are a lot of sort of historical analogies to today that mm-hmm. I keep thinking about and turning over in my head. So I'm just sort of creeping through it. My husband and I do this. We sort of pick like one big old intimidating historical book and take, um, the entire year to read it. So that's what the one we're working through right now. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's nearly a thousand pages, isn't it? That would take you a long time. That would take me a long time. Sarah, is there anything that you wish were different in your reading life? 
Yes. And I hope I feel really bad about this, but I've just I need to be honest with you and your listeners. I really wish my actual in real life book club read the dang book. We've just abandoned all pretense. We never read the book. I mean, I read the book and then no, like one, maybe one other person in the club reads the book. We have a couple members who just are open about they never read the book. So it's basically just like a, you know, a cocktail club. And I wish <laughs> I had a book club. Mm-hmm. I wish I had a club in person that read the book where we came and talked about the book. So it sounds like there still are actually book club selections, though, if you're reading them. Yeah, like we we're supposed to read the girls, but only like to, you know, one person we get there and it's like, I've read it. One person, 75% of through one person's 10% and the other three are like, yeah, I'm not going to read it. It's really frustrating. Well, I can't really help you with that, except to say at least there are good people on the internet to talk books with. Yeah, exactly. But I, you know, you know, I think that book life is so, and you're in, this is something you're so good at recognizing. Like people are like, oh, I just want to read more. But again, it's like all about the strategy, like what's keeping you from reading, what's frustrating your reading. And I think the way you interact with other people in books is like so key. But the other thing that is frustrating in my book life, more particular to what I read is I'm really drawn to nonfiction and I'm kind of always pushing myself to read fiction. And then sometimes I feel like I read, like I, I like the underground railroad, but sometimes, you know, like girls that was, that book was everywhere. Everybody was recommending it. And I felt sort of, I get FOMO with fiction instead of being more purposeful in the fiction I read. Mm -hmm. So you'd rather not is what you're saying. Yeah. I'd rather be like more like, you know, again, with fiction, I just feel like I read the hottest, newest thing instead of being or or I'm going back and reading classics. And I feel like mm-hmm. there's like this whole universe of books in between that I'm missing out on. Mm-hmm. OK, I hear you. So were you glad you read The Girls? It was your book club pick, but it was also like the hot new thing this summer. It was so hot. Yeah. I mean, I thought she had a very interesting, wonderful writing style. And I really liked the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel like I understand what happened with Manson a little bit better, but did I need to probably not? Do I care? Not really. Um, so I wonder if there was maybe a book I would have enjoyed more. I just feel like everybody could make an announcement and we could just say, nobody write anything. We're all very behind. Like stop putting out good books. I want to read cause I need to catch up. Oh, wait. My husband was telling me this was a real thing. Really? Yeah. Somebody shared a quote that he saw somewhere. I think it was from the author of uh, Tuck Everlasting. We will fact this. We will fact check fact this check and it. put it in <laughs> comments. We're in political <laughs> season, so everybody's fact checking everything. But the author said something like, I don't know why I keep writing books and why you keep buying them. Because really, we could all stop right now and we would yeah. never run out of good things to read until the end of time. And yet I don't like that idea. Oh, I mean, I'm not saying forever. Let's just like give everybody like a year. Let's just take a year. Let's all take a year off. We'll just take a year, catch up as best we can. Or maybe like every other year could be a non-writing year. Some British newspaper did a thing last year, two years ago, that said, basically, here's proof that you can't read all the books we publish in one week in the world in a lifetime. Oh, my God. Deciding what to read next. Yeah. That's depressing. It's depressing. But I don't know. We're never going to run out. Maybe. I see. I'm trying to look for silver lining, but mostly I just feel depressed about the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> I have ideas for you. We will get to them right after the break. Sarah, welcome back. I'm a little nervous deciding because on the one hand, I have tons of ideas for you. And on the other, 
I just, oh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so you love, you kept bringing up your strengths finder of input, which means basically you love to take in new information, like a very thirsty computer, like sponge. Yes. With a very big hard drive. Yes. Okay. So Gawande totally fits. Parenting totally fits. Both also have serious implications for your real, actual, everyday life. Yes. And the lovely bones, we are really going to hope doesn't have serious implications for your everyday <laughs> life. Seriously. Um, that one, it leaves you thinking about someone you thought you understood in a new way. And I think that's true. It could be someone or something you thought you understood, right? Yeah. Okay. So I think, and I'm determined to give you a novel. Okay, good. Okay. Book one, I think it hits all these issues. It is Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. What do you know about it? Um, I think your recommendations are spot on because I'm currently listening to that book on audible.com. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited you are because I just read the hardcover a few weeks ago and it's the kind of book that you finish and you think, Oh, I need to talk to somebody about this right mm -hmm. now. Absolutely. Okay. So if y'all don't know, here is the deal with the book and I'm so it's perfect for you because what I love about it is Vance grew up moving back and forth between Breathitt County, Kentucky, which is not the Kentucky you or I know. This is very Eastern Appalachia coal country used to be an industrial region. And those companies have largely left moving back and forth between there and Middletown, Ohio, a Rust Belt town that is according to Vance long past its heyday. Like that is over. And now the town is in not, it's not the kind of place it's the kind of place you escape from to put it like him. So mm -hmm. He's a man who moved back and forth between these two cities facing problems that he sees as very typical these days of the people he calls hillbillies. And what really appealed to me about, because backing up, I can never put that label on somebody else. Like I can only use his term because it sounds so derogatory, but he really caught my attention um, because he's been interviewed a lot in this current political presidential election cycle. And what he's been asked about is why Trump has so much support among less educated white males. And he said, well, like, because of my background, I can speak to the, this issue. And he does. And he brings so much nuance to a, an issue that most of us think we understand that it's very straightforward mm -hmm. and listening to reading his interviews and especially reading his longer memoir. It's like, Oh, and he says, it's not a good thing. Like there are, there are good things that, the rest of America and the world miss about the people he grew up in. But he talks about how he got out by going to Ohio state and then to Yale. He said the only reason that was possible because of his strong family, um, not his mother who was present in his life, but not the key influencer here, but his grandparents who mm -hmm. made sure he got his education and had books to go to school and actually went to school and got decent grades. And so he went to Ohio state and then to Yale and his book is blurbed by, uh, the battle hymn of the tiger mother author, which I oh. thought was odd until I found out that was his law school professor, but it's just such an interesting story from the kind of person you don't usually hear from in, yeah. in American politics and literature and anything. And he said that that's why he felt it was so important for him to tell this story because he felt like he had a really unique perspective and could help people understand these people that we feel like we already know, but when you let's, let's go back to your words. Like you think, you know, about a situation, but then you read something like this and you realize, no, I didn't get it at all. And you can see it in a whole new way. 
Well, and here's the thing is like, you know, I'm not from Appalachia, but he talks a lot about the Scot-Irish ancestry, which my ancestry is Scot-Irish, which is a sort of distrustful of the government and outsiders and how that culture plays a role. And I think that what he speaks to with and really goes beyond even the Trump presidency is the idea that there are this, these two Americas and that there is a rural urban divide and that, you know, the Washington Post just did this big piece on the mortality rates of middle uh, low middle income white Americans and how it's rising and sort of that there's this this little um, undercurrent of problems in certain parts of the country that are being I, I don't think they're being ignored anymore. I think that his book is wonderful and it's a very, you know, a memoir and a personal way to examine this structural or this cultural divide that we're experiencing. And also, I think um, I, there's another book that I'm put, that I'll do put on the uh, what Anne should read list. And what it's next on my list is Strangers in Their Own La Strangers in Their Own Land by Arlie Hothschild, Ooh, who is a one. yeah, she's a gender researcher and she's amazing. She wrote I think she wrote the second shift. Um, but she is like this Berkeley home t liberal Berkeley professor, renounced a sociologist. And she moved to Southern Louisiana for like five years and did all this study on tea party years in Southern Louisiana. She, I just heard an interview with her on the Ezra Klein podcast and it was just amazing. Um, she just talked about like, there's facts and then there's the story we tell ourselves. And until we understand the other person's story. And I think this is really true in political discussions. You cannot go into a political discussion trying to prove somebody wrong. The goal should be to understand their story. And I think what he does in, um, hillbilly elegy. And I, I, I do use that word for it. I have a lot of friends in Paducah. I have one friend in particular who I call a Renaissance hillbilly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I do use that word with love. And what she's trying to do from a more sociological perspective is to is to um, sort of bring that story to light because there are huge portions of the population who are angry and who feel ignored. And um, I think the Trump presidency speaks to that. But I, I don't think it's a new phenomenon for a lot of reasons, the global economy um, and increasingly progressive society with regards to gender and race and that, you know, books just like anything else can help us understand that. And I think his book does that. And I can't wait to read hers as well. Very nice. That sounds really interesting. Okay. Book two. We, Oh, it's so hard to decide. Okay. We are going to go with tribe by Sebastian younger. What do you Ooh, know? Okay. I don't know anything. I'm so excited. You okay. know I love new information. Have you read like The Perfect Storm? No, it doesn't matter if you've read. He is the author of Fire about forest fighters and The Perfect Storm about the disastrous storm of the century in the Western Atlantic. Have Wait, you read the George Clooney movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. He's the author of the book the George Clooney movie was based on. Got it. Cool. Okay, so he has a new book out. It is called Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging. And the description didn't sound interesting to me, but I just heard him speak in person and I was like, oh my gosh, you're fascinating. And I couldn't tell it for all the sales copy. Um, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this description spare with the hope it'll be intriguing. So this book is part memoir, part reporting, part history. I think plugging into your, the things you love in nonfiction books. Mm -hmm. He was embedded in the conflict in the Middle East for a while. He followed a elite troop 
closely as they went into conflict and back to Italy to debrief and chill before they went back to war. And he said what he noticed in his troop and so many others is that the reaction when this unit was pulled out of combat was, we want to go back. We want to go back. And like sitting here safely in our respective places in Kentucky, does that not surprise you? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So tribe is about the units that we live in as individuals that we weren't meant. Ooh. So he says we, he kept using the word evolved, but like we didn't evolve to live on our own. We evolved mm -hmm. to live in close knit community. And that is what happens with these units in combat. Like they, you literally depend on your, you know, they call each other brothers for your very life. And then to go live on your own in an American suburb when you're done with, you know, when the war is over is surprisingly, if you've never seen that situation from the inside, devastating. So in this book, he talks about what he calls the complicated blessings of civilization. Like how do we hang on to that sense of community, that sense of tribe when we're not facing mortal danger? It's just a really oh, interesting That's so book. good. And yeah. can I just say like that is total, I can't wait to read it because it feels like to me that it is connected to what I was saying before about caregiving and these discussions about parenting and end of life care, because we used to do those things within a tribe, within a community. And maybe it's that, you know, that point isn't just when they're sort of risk you're, you're in danger, but I think it's just as relevant with like sort of caregiving scenarios and that we, you know, we didn't used to give people newborns and be like, see you later, you're on your own. Or we didn't used to, you know, people never died on their own. Like this was a community process within our tribe and we've lost some of that. Oh, I can't wait to read this book. Yeah. It's a book that makes you say like, okay, how am I going to live my life? Like, oh, because he's an embedded so war reporter and yet it has real implications for how you live your life and how I do too. Love it. Excellent. Sold. I'm glad to hear it. Okay. I am so torn for you. I'm debating between new novels Two, no, um, not new novels. I'm debating between two novels. Okay. We are going to go with a kind of offbeat pick, which is why I like it for you. Cause sometimes do you feel like you keep seeing the same books? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You haven't seen this one. But it's not out yet, which makes me kind of sad to recommend it to you because you're going to want to read it now. Okay. Your book three is called This Is How It Always Is. It's by Lori Frankel. And it, I'm sorry to say, does not come out till January. I feel like I just saw the cover of this book. It's got an orange on it. Okay. No, I didn't. Sometimes it's fun to like wait with anticipation. Like I'm currently counting down to the next ton of French novel. Like I can't wait. And sometimes there's like a weird kind of pleasure and like knowing something good is coming or darn it, it had better be good. So hopefully that's the positive spin you can put on this. Okay. So I want to tell you where the title comes from. It's called, this is how it always is. There's a quote in the book. This is, this is a domestic novel. There's a, we, there's a family that we follow very closely through the book and they're a suburban family, like a family where you're like, Oh, they could be my neighbors. They could be my friends. They could be me. The husband is saying to the wife, look, we are facing this massive decision about our children. We do not have enough information to go on. We don't know what the consequences will be. We don't know everything we need to know to make this decision. Everything depends on it. We just have to do the best we can with what we have. This is how it goes. We're parents. This is how it always is. Mm. Okay, mm. So this is about a very, very like, she sets this up so well. Like, I just loved the married couple she's following. Like you are rooting from the, for them from the get go. And 
for reasons that you can't understand halfway through the novel, but as you watch it develop slowly, you get they have a secret. And they didn't mean to keep the secret. That wasn't their intention from the beginning. But it started with keeping a little secret. And as secrets do, it became a big secret. And as it, they went on in years and time, it became a powerful secret that the whole family was keeping. And this novel, I don't want to tell you what it's about exactly, but I am expecting this to get a lot of attention because it's timely. It's about a complex issue that isn't something that I ever really think affects me or that I pay attention to. And that's why I love this novel because... Oh, I want to read it right now. I know. January. I'm sorry. But the author does such a good job of building empathy and making you see these situations that we tend to think of as black and white. She takes you way up close into this one specific circumstance and this one specific family and shows you like, look, this is not what you thought it was when you see it from the inside. Oh, I love that so much. Okay. Amazing. Love it. January. Okay, Sarah, I'm going to give you a bonus pick, but first we're going to take a little break. Okay, here we go with your bonus pick. Have you read 112263? No. Read it. Read it now. And read okay. Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin to go oh, with Oh, Team it of Rivals is like top 10 book of all time. Is that not amazing? Oh, it's the best book oh ever. Oh my gosh. And that, so that's A History of Lincoln. It's 800 pages. Would you like to be super jealous of my life for a minute? Oh yeah, tell me. When I was in DC right before I left, it was the anniversary of some Lincoln anniversary. Uh-huh. I don't remember which one. Uh-huh. His birth, his death, the um, Gettysburg Address something and I got to go to the Capitol Rotunda and hear Doris Kearns Goodwin and Barack Obama talk about Lincoln and it was amazing amazing. that is amazing it was and it was funny because you don't see this very often in the Capitol but she was like a rock star she like had all these senators surrounding her afterwards like groupies it was amazing her go Doris Mm -hmm. so as you know but listeners may not the thing about this book is you think it's just going to be dry and boring history and honestly i mean sarah do you think it kind of was for the first 150 pages there are so many people to sort out and i get why she left them in but it's a lot to take in but persevere because like you think you know the history here and unless (laughs) unless you know more than most uh you totally don't you don't even know what you're missing I mean, even about the big historical stuff like the assassination, like you don't really know what happened. And if you don't close this and weep, like you haven't read it closely enough. No, I really with, wait, are we talking about 11, 22, 63 no, or team we're of talking rivals? about team of rivals? Okay. Team of rivals. I literally was in the car crying my eyes out. And my husband was like, um, you knew how this book ends. Yeah, <laughs> but about, I didn't feel like, what we had lost. Know. Yeah, exactly. I was like, you don't what it could have been so different i mean i was hysterical it was bad and then read eleven twenty two sixty three, and i realized they are two to- oh do you know what do you know about this book the whole you know I, I know i think i just realized that my grandmother loaned to me and it's sitting on my bookshelf how about that well perfect timing so while you're waiting till january for the other one the other novel because that would be that's your second novel <laughs> you're just you're just getting all the picks today sarah yeah so eleven twenty two sixty three. It's a Stephen King novel. Oh, but it's not horror. It is definitely creepy, but this is not a horror novel. Like I don't read, I've read On Writing by Stephen King and this one. And I think <laughs> I want to read The Stand maybe, but like his popular like horror books with blood and stuff. Yeah, not for me. Yeah, no, so but yeah. don't be afraid because that's not what this is. So a guy discovers a wormhole portal to 1950 something. And he decides, well, he's talked into 
going back in time to try to prevent the Kennedy assassination. The idea being that change the course of our nation's history and not for the better. So let's get it fixed. But the 112263 revolves around the idea of how could our nation be better today if that awful thing hadn't happened. And then oh, in wow. Team of Rivals, you Kearns ends with the question, like, how could it have been different? Because the Johnson administration was a disaster. So these books are about torture, basically. About how we have to torture ourselves. Mind bending <laughs> kind of torture. <laughs> with what torture, could yeah. have been. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot to be but learned. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love yes, it for sure. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. Okay. What are you going to read next, Sarah? Well, that the 112263 is pretty long, right? Oh, yeah. They're all long. Tribe is long, too, because that was going to be No, 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 no. Tri- I was thinking all your books are long. All these books are uh-huh. long. But Tribe is skinny. I think the okay, actual... Okay, good. Text... Tribe's next. Okay. Tribe's up next, because I'm trying to hit my um my reading challenges, and it's getting up close to the next three years, so i got to knock out some small ones. Oh, yeah. This book has a ton of notes, so it might be pushing 200 pages, but the actual text is like 117 or something. Sweet. Yeah, yeah that's nice. easy breezy. Because again, all about the strategy. All about the strategy. All I the like strategy. it. Well, I'm really excited to hear what you think about it. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Sarah should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 43. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That's Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. And don't forget to tag the show on Instagram at whatshouldireadnext so we can see what you are reading. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.